Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. Joining me this evening is Izzy Hawkins, an actor who uses her online platform to discuss sobriety after coming into recovery from the addiction of alcohol at the age of 21. And Izzy joins me to chat about her sobriety journey and also tells us all about sober... I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Sobermas, which is like Christmas, but sober. The number, as usual, 087-188-008. Let me just try... Izzy, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you now, finally. My God. Yay! This is the year 2023. Richard Nixon could ring the moon in 1969, and we can't even make I know. the United Kingdom. I don't know how you do it. Live radio is so stressful. <laughs> I know. I've just waffled on for the last three or four minutes. since <laughs> just, just had to I'm got sure you back on the line job. again. <laughs> <laughs> but is it? We, we, we were only talking uh, a couple of weeks ago about we had an email from a woman who didn't want her husband's family over because they always get drunk and ruin Christmas, right? And I myself even remember my family. Uh, my father was a bit of a drinker, you know, and he'd always make life difficult every now and again, you know, at Christmas time, he'd drink too much. And so, you know, alcoholics or people who drink too much generally can make life difficult for people at Christmas. And you're, you're talking about soberness. Now, I do, yes. I'm not a drinker. I don't drink at all. So there'll be a sober Christmas in my household. But for a lot of people, there won't be. No. Um, yeah, and which can I just say, up until this year, I'd never heard of sobermus. Um, I, I, this, this must be a new phrase, which I'm very excited about. We've got dry Jan. We've now got sobermus. So that's fantastic. Um, mm. But... Yeah, I mean, for lots of people, like, Christmas is associated or alcohol is associated with Christmas. It's an incredibly boozy holiday. And um, for me, like, my entire family drinks. I'm the only person that is sober in, in over the holidays. Um, but kind of, I just, you know, I talk a lot about sobriety on my online, uh, on social media. And I just want people to know that it is possible. You can have fun. And also, you can end up, like, not getting into dysfunctional arguments with lots of different people yeah. if you're one of those people. And, and it can be, it can be a really pleasant experience. Yeah, and it's cool to be sober, by the way. It's okay to be sober. Um, yeah. Now, I, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here in Ireland, traditionally, we're quite famous for drinking too much. Um, <laughs> and, and if you're not a drinker, I find even when I go out somewhere, say if you go to a bar or whatever it is, you know, for we go for the say the, the radio Christmas parties or whatever, somebody's always going to go. I know your man off the radio. Will you have a drink? And I go, no, I don't drink. Go on, you'll have one. And I go, no, I don't want one. Thanks very much. Go on, you'll just have one for me, will you? People almost push alcohol on you, don't they? Yeah, yes, and that is something that I feel like it's starting to change, and I feel like there's a big sobriety boom that is currently happening or starting to happen and yeah. but like I've had I mean I I stopped drinking when I was 21 um alcoholism runs in my family my heritage is Irish so my grandfather was Irish and my great-grandfather was Irish so that's where there's, there's from, a bit so. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know um who knows is it a gene like I just we have no idea but um and I would say that that was pushed on them. Like, I think it was my great grandfather who ended up getting sober, and like everyone was always on tenterhooks because everybody was constantly trying to get him to drink. And I don't know why we have this obsession with um, a feeling like maybe our fun is going to be spoiled if other people aren't drinking with us, and we just and we like to push it. It's the only drug in the world, really, that I feel like, you know, when someone says, "Oh, I'm sober, I've stopped drinking," people go, "Oh, that's a shame." 
<laughs> like that's not great. Is it? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a bit tough, isn't it? Why not? Yeah, <laughs> they, they got a question. Why aren't you drinking? Why not? So wh- when did your problem, if you want to call it a problem, and it was a problem, I suppose, your alcohol addiction, you know, mm-hmm. you when did it start for you? Um, I think I knew maybe well, even when I was 14, like I just felt like I drank differently to my friends. I was using it to numb out and to self-medicate right from the get-go and I just loved it. And if I could have been drunk the whole time, I would have been. Um, and I think it became a real problem for me kind of when I left home at 18 and went off to London to have a to do a kind of like advertising sales role. And at that point, I just like I'd been let loose into the world and it was just constant like drinking to blackout, drinking at events, and mm. then drinking, I started drinking in the mornings to deal with the anxiety. And, and kind of by 21, I was what you would associate with alcoholism, really, like lost my job, relationships were in tatters. I, my, it just stole everything from me, basically. And I was in... When you were 14 years of age, you said you noticed you were different to your friends because, okay, you weren't just, you know, having the odd can every now and again. You were taking it a bit more serious because you wanted a mask out problem. Or you wanted to go yeah. to numb out, as you said. Was there reasons for that? Or was there a problem in your life? Or was there something you needed to mask out? Because, you know, when people say they, they kind of drink to hide problems, it's like taking antidepressants, you know? You, you kind of drink to hide a problem or to mask a problem. So was there a problem in your life? I think, I mean, I'm the child of an alcoholic who is um, in recovery, but and who came into recovery when I was 14. So I think, and I'm the eldest child, so I feel like a lot of that, um, okay. that fell on my shoulders. I'm, I'm one of four kids. So I feel like by the time I hit 14 and my um, parent got sober, I was like, oof, that was heavy. Yeah, <laughs> like that was, that was, that was quite difficult. And, um, and you know, then there was divorce in my family. So I feel like there was lots of things that I didn't, I didn't have the tools to deal with any of this. Yeah. A lot of stuff. traumatic experiences, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, and also I have a very busy brain and I, I struggle with, I, I had social anxiety and, and um, I, there's, there's a myriad of a really bad concoction of things that I think led to me wanting to, to numb out. But yeah, I'd probably say I'm really interested in the link between tra- childhood trauma and um, abusing substances. Yeah. And when you say, you know, you got to a point in 21 where you were kind of relationships were in tatters, you were losing jobs. Were you losing jobs because you were fired because you were arriving in, you know, with a few drinks on you or what was, are you, were you just not turning up for work? What was happening there? I mean, yeah, I got signed off work quite a few times because my behavior just, I, I wasn't able to keep up with the, with the party lifestyle. And like I was working in advertising sales, so there's an element of partying that can get, but it just started to like take me down. And then I got fired for falling asleep in a toilet drunk at 10 o'clock in the morning. And like wow. my colleagues okay. were kind of aware that, that this was becoming a problem. That'll, that'll do it. Um, and (laughs) hiding alcohol in my, in kind of in my drawers at work and just to try and get through the day because I was like shaking and and withdrawing and and people are looking at a 21 year old being like, she doesn't have a drinking problem like that. She's only a kid for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I'm looking at my behavior going like, I recognize this because I've seen this in my parents. Mm. And and when you, when you talk about your relationships, then were in tatters, or relationship was in tatters. I mean, you would imagine love would be enough to make you want to stop something, but sometimes it just isn't enough, is it? No, and I think that's the thing with, you know, whether we call it alcoholism, addiction, like something like substance abuse. Is I think, and we're learning a lot about the brain and what that means, and and how the 
drug of choice can override everything else in your life. But like I, I had been the child of an alcoholic begging the parent to get sober and not understanding why they couldn't do it for me. And then I ended up being the same person. Like I had a boyfriend that was like, please stop this behavior. It's craziness. And I was like, I can't. And we see it time and time again yeah. as parents choosing alcohol over their kids and being like not having um, empathy or understanding as to why that is. But yeah. it's like they're not in their right minds. They're not well. Well, the worst story I ever heard, going back a good few years ago, I had a guy in the air who was an alcoholic, and you know, and he couldn't afford to be an alcoholic because sometimes people just can't afford to be alcoholics, but he was. Yeah. And he said, the worst thing I ever did was on Christmas Day, he took one of his kids' toys back to the shop and got a refund just so he could get money for drink. Yeah. And I mean, oh, that's, that's desperation, right? Oh, that is desperation. And, and, and the same guy then told me he went, he had no money, so he went into a hospital and started drinking the hand sanitizer. And I'm going, that's like, how bad does it have to get? So you made a decision. Can you remember that day that you made a decision and said, that's it, I'm finishing. This is, I'm done with this. Yeah, and it was, it had been building slowly and I'd started to want to ask for help. But being 21, people were like, yeah, but you're 21. Like, you're supposed to be partying and messing up. And like, it's like a rite of passage. And so I found, I actually found it really hard to get people to take me seriously in, in terms of wanting to get sober and I started going to AA and it, I sort of like wasn't taking that seriously and then and then my um, boyfriend kind of just got to the end of his tether and it was actually the day that he walked out I was like oh okay like that's everything now like he was the last thing to kind of go yeah and yeah. it was at that point that I thought okay I need to like sort this out um yeah because I'm gonna destroy my because, life yeah yes and I had like I wanted to go to drama school I wanted to be an actor and I was just too I was drunk I was just drunk <laughs> all the time and um and, how much and nothing were you was drinking happen. like at the height of it how much were you drinking um oh gosh it's kind of hard to remember at this point but like I was drinking I was buying bottles of vodka and pouring it into um, water bottles and like mixing it with a little bit of squash and pretending it was squash um so it was just like enough to try and get me through the day and then some days I would just take I would just have too much and I would tip over the edge into blackout and then humiliate myself um but yeah I'd say I was getting through you know at 21 it's so sad yeah I mean and and the problem is when you talk to a friend and you ring them up and say, listen, I think I've got a problem. And they say, okay, I'll meet you at the pub and we'll talk about it. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Young, young people just think that's what you should be doing. You should be drinking anyway. That's fun. You know, because, but the difference is yeah. they could socially drink. You couldn't socially drink. No, I'd have one and that was that. Was that. Like I was, I was off to the races. It was like I just couldn't, I couldn't just have one. I never understood those people that could like have a glass of wine and then put the bottle back in the fridge. I was like, what yeah. is wrong with those people? Yeah, just drink the <laughs> bottle. <laughs> drink the yeah. Whole yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. So the day you, obviously, he, your boyfriend walked out, your life is in a mess. There's no possibility of you going to drama school unless you can solve this problem. So how did you solve the problem? Was it just a cold turkey situation? No, I mean, I actually went into, well, I went and begged my family for help um, and uh, kind of people crowd, basically crowdfunded and sent me to treatment and I went to treatment for four months. Okay. Um, which, you know, tough. I'm incredibly lucky that I got to do that because that's not accessible. Um, it's it's incredibly, yeah. it's an expensive thing. And um, I was very lucky was to have access like? to that. How much was I it went to like a slightly cheaper one. I think it was £4,000 a month. Okay. Um, whereas something like the Priory, you're looking at like £15,000 a month. And that was like, that was 15 years ago that the yeah, Priory was that much. So I dread yeah. to think what it is now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Well, everybody, uh, the Priory would be quite famous, actually. We've heard of very famous people going to the Priory. So that and yeah. that's kind of a famous place. But okay, but there is places over here similar, by the way. There are some places which are uh, voluntarily run. And there are other places you uh-huh. can pay privately to go to as well, to you know, to go into rehab and stay off the alcohol. Well, and, and the treatment centre I was in, I was with other addicts. That it's like some people have come straight from prison. And like, so it was kind of, it was a real mixture of people. It wasn't like the priory. It wasn't just like private clients. And I, I'm kind of really glad that I got to do it with people from all different walks of life because we all had different yeah. perspectives and different things to offer to that. Yeah, and so what was, I was going to say to you, so what was that four-month experience like? At any stage, did you feel like giving up? Did you feel like, I'm out of here, I've had enough of this, carry on? Yeah, and I think I have a mind that tends to spiral, and, like, that's where I end, like, end up drinking. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'd have a spiral, an emotional spiral of some kind, and then I'd be like, well, the only solution to this is drinking. That's all I'd done up until the age of 21. And so when I'd have an emotional spiral, I'd be like, I'm leaving. <laughs> like, I'm going, yeah. I'm, I'm going to leave, I'm going to run away, and I'm going to drink. Um, because I drank on every emotion. Um, so learning to kind of stop that process and it tracks was really, was really difficult. But yeah, there were, and there were many times that I, I wanted to ditch it and run away and just thinking, and also thinking, oh my God, 21 and sober. Like I've now got yeah. to go back out into the world where all my friends are like just leaving uni and I can't drink with them. I'm going to have to do my 20s sober if I take this seriously. Yeah. So you did. So, yeah, I did. I did that. <laughs> so, so four months later, you come out, you're dry, yeah, yeah, you're sober. And how was temptation? Was was that tough or, or do you think the four months did it for you and you learned that, you know, hey, life can be okay without alcohol? Um, no, it was tough, I would say. I mean, I was also, yeah, there's a, there's like a pink cloud of sobriety that you live on, I'd say, in the first year. Whereas like, oh, this is all a bit new and exciting. And like doing it in community was really important. So like all the people that I left treatment with, I stayed in the local area. I got a job as like a cleaner and tried to just take a year out to just be sober because like, it felt like a full-time job. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, uh, yeah, there were moments. It's like when I went back to the house share that I was in and there was vodka in the cupboard, I was like, I remember there being a moment like where I, was, I wanted to drink it and then being like, no, I'm not. I, I'm just picking up the phone and calling somebody. I mean, like, I really feel like I want to drink this vodka and then being like, that's a really bad idea. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, did you have to avoid things like when people would ring up and say, listen, we're all meeting at the weekend. It's Johnny's birthday. We're going out. Did you, mm-hmm. did you go? Or did you avoid those kind of things? Because, you know, at that age, obviously, there's lots of things going on. There's events. Yeah, I... Absolutely. And I, I did, I took a little, like, I probably took a six month hiatus where I was like, I'm just going to focus on hanging out with sober people for a minute. And then I have a really good group of girlfriends um, who I've known since school. And I remember our first trip away, we all went to Centre Park together and they were all drinking, but they're all very safe drinkers. Like they'll just have a couple of glasses or whatever. And that, that's it for the night. And I just remember being like, okay, I can do this, I can do this. But because I was in a supportive environment, that was such a good first experience for me. And then after that, I was like, I can do this. And so sometimes I go out clubbing with everybody and I'd just be sober, I'd be designated driver. Um, so you kind of felt useful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was yeah. I was a useful person. I was like <laughs> mum. I was mum on the night out. And I was also the person that could be like, guys, you know what happened last night. <laughs> <laughs> the next day you'd be the notebook the next morning yes <laughs> yeah exactly uh so it's yeah. just about kind of forming new identities and 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 
having a deeper more authentic relationship with yourself and understanding what makes you uncomfortable and like why does that make you uncomfortable and what are your fears and what what can you be brave about and I just think it's such an interesting journey of self-discovery that I wouldn't Mm. have gone on if I'd been drinking and did you ever relapse at any point did you kind of have a quick one on the sly somewhere or did you you ever relapse I've I've not had a drink since the day I stopped so it's been it'll be nine years in February I did however Thank you so much. Um, but I did. There was a moment that I did relapse, weirdly, on a prescription, not prescription, an over-the-counter drug, codeine, okay. um, because I was still very uncomfortable with myself in the first year. And I felt like maybe I needed more, like, some therapy. And I, I kind of, I stopped working. I kind of was just focused on being sober. And I think I stopped working on my noggin, which was the thing that probably needed a little bit more TLC. And so... Um, but I outed myself as soon as you kind of out yourself to people and say like, I'm doing this thing and you're not skulking around corners and hiding something. Then there's, when there's nowhere yeah. to hide, that's usually the moment that you, that you're about to stop doing something. So, okay. So, so what, you just took a few codeine tablets just to go. Yeah, to I would, I would numb out. I mean, it actually started with, what did it start with? It was a dentist situation. It was like, I had a, a really bad tooth. And so a dentist gave me something for the pain. Was it a dentist or a doctor? I can't remember. Someone gave me something for the pain and I didn't tell anybody that they had, which is a classic, classic thing. I'll hide this. Yeah, Um, yeah, I'll hide this and I'll use it if I need to. And then my grandmother died and it was at the funeral and I thought, I'm just going to take a couple of extra of these. Just not even thinking, just kind of on autopilot. And then I was like, well, that ran out. So what's the next best thing? It was codeine. And so I started buying that and I would take four at a time with paracetamol on them, which is very dangerous. Yeah, and yeah. Um, Not to be recommended. Yeah, go on. Not to be recommended in any way, shape or form. Uh, so, yeah, mm. not great. And, and you stopped that, I assume. Uh, how long was yeah. that period of time where you were kind of kind of doing that, hiding around corners? I think doing on that? and off for like a year, maybe a couple of okay. years. But like on and off, I would stop and be like, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? And the, by the way, um, but so many just... people. I spoke to people the other day. Actually, we were talking about sulfidine addiction, uh, or sulfidine. Okay, well, that's what I was it's... taking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but when <laughs> Irish people call it sulfidine, but it's actually sulfidine. But there, there is uh. a sulfidine addiction, and it's a real problem in society. I talked to one woman, and she was taking like twenty a day. You know. Yeah. Well, that's what at one point I think on a bad day, like there would be moments where I would do that. And I think it's crazy, but I think the pharmacists look at people like they know what's going on. They must see it a lot. It, yeah. It's really, um, it's worrying that it's so freely available. Yeah. So what what did it feel like when you, when you, when you kind of took the salvity? Did it take you back to when you were numbing yourself with the alcohol? Yeah, it just, well, because it's obviously, it's like an opioid, isn't it? So, well, yeah. it is an opioid. So it just, it, it was the closest I felt like I could get to drinking without the consequences. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get you. Um, and so it felt, it just felt a bit, yeah, a bit numbed and a bit sort of, and, and, and a bit of a buzz as well, which I'm addicted yeah. to that feeling. Um, okay, so how, so, so how are you now? You're good now. You're, you're sober nine years. You're off the Salvadine yeah. again now. You're off the kind of, the, the, those kind of things now. So you're feeling okay now? You're feeling good? You're feeling like you're coping well? Yes, feeling amazing. I got married um, this year. Well and Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, And I was like the only sober person at that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is hilarious. Uh, And yeah, and like I went to drama school, did the thing. I'm out there doing the the things I'm passionate about, being creative and and talking about sobriety as well. I'm trying to get young people in particular excited about it if they feel like they have a problem. And knowing that like it doesn't make sense. 
I think young I people agree. now are better. Yeah, I agree. And I think they are, I think they're more health conscious. And I think they're kind of like, that's actually just poisoning me, maybe. <laughs> or that it's like, you know, I don't You know who the worst day. group are at the moment, okay? I'm going to say this. It's going to come across weird, weird sexist, okay? But the worst groups, and particularly since COVID, um, the worst. Why mums? Uh, yeah, these kind of thirty-five-year-old yeah. women sitting at home drinking not a bottle of wine a crate a week—that's the yeah. worst group at the moment. And doctors have even said they're seeing an increase in women of that age group presenting with liver problems in hospital. So that's a problem. yeah. I saw an article about that. It was something. I also saw a thing about you women in the UK are the top binge drinkers in the world. Oh God, I'd say the Isn't Irish are keeping mad? up with them. Yeah, here's the thing. I what worked in the nightclub industry for 35 years, okay? As right. a DJ as well as a presenter in radio. I worked in the nightclub industry for 35 years. And uh-huh. we used to have, in Dublin, more nightclubs per head of population than any other city in the world, okay? We were really outgoing. We were great. But now, in Dublin, we had about 35 nightclubs at one stage, just in Dublin City. And that's a population of 1.5 million people. Now we yeah. have a situation where there's only three. So... You can see the Isn't culture of drinking. Three. Wow. Three nightclubs. Yeah. Okay. So now there was a few late bars and stuff like that as well because the late bar yeah, yeah. kind of thing killed the nightclubs too and the smoking ban killed the nightclubs. There's a lot of nails in the coffin for the nightclubs. The COVID was the final nail in the coffin. But, but yeah. you can see that young people now, there's a culture of not drinking as much, of not going mm. out and staying out at three o'clock in the morning and getting hammered that culture is slowly but surely for young people is disappearing, which is a good thing, by the way. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I, who was that I saw the other day? I feel like it was Calvin Harris or somebody who was like, let's make sober raving cool. Um, yeah. Because, you know, if you enjoy the music, yeah. Um, why do you need to be off your face for it? I mean, like that is obviously it's up to individuals and I never want it to be like, um, seem like I'm coming off this in a high horse kind of way because everybody around me drinks and I'm so totally comfortable and cool with that and it's like obviously it's a completely personal choice but also like as long as there's the option out there for people to know that like, you're not weird and I think when I first stopped drinking I was considered a complete weirdo nine years ago yeah, yeah. I, I, know. <laughs> I was a weirdo all my life because I didn't drink yeah I worked in the industry every other DJ I knew was kind of getting hammered yeah. as they were doing their set I wasn't you know what I mean <laughs> Which is so, that is so like, because that, that's starting to happen now is that DJs are, st- you're starting to see sober DJs. So yeah, you must have been quite the um, the front yeah. runner in that sense. I, I, sure, I remember some of my mates who were DJs and I'd say, and they'd say, oh, I've got a new gig in such and such a bar on a Friday night. And I go, oh yeah. I said, how much you get? And he goes, oh, it's great. Like you get 300 quid and as much drink as you can, as you can drink behind the bar. Then that's okay. And I'm going, that's part of the gig. Like that's part of the deal that you got, yeah. you got free alcohol. But okay. So let, let's have a few tips. We're coming up to Christmas. This is a tough time for people who don't want to drink. Okay. For Ireland mm-hmm. and England. Um, so what are the yeah, tips yeah. for kind of avoiding drinking at Christmas? If you want to have a sober Christmas. Um, I think. Especially if it's your first sober Christmas, you have to be really intentional. So if you're going to be around other drinkers, um, so let's say you're going to Christmas parties, always make sure you've got a get-out route is my first thing. Um, So don't be relying on other people for a lift. Make sure that you've got an emergency plan to get out of there in case you feel like, oh, I want to drink and you you don't want that to happen. I think having Don't go on the boogie bus. Yeah, don't go on the if no. it's a party. Don't go with the boogies. Bring your own car with you if you're not drinking. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, don't get stuck in a party. 
um, and have somebody that you can confide in. If that's someone you can text and be like, I'm having a bit of a rough time, I'm struggling, or I just think sharing a drinking thought, if you feel like you're going to drink, sharing it drains the power out of it. Um, yeah. It's that whole problem shared, problem half thing. It, it's so true. So if there mm. is somebody that you can confide in, community is a really important thing. Having something that makes you feel a bit special in terms of a drink. So I'm, I, I drink loads of coffee, which is so weird. And people are like, are you drinking coffee at a Christmas party? I'm like, yeah. And what? Yeah, I drink um, Red Bull, which is not probably very good for okay. me. Okay. Yeah. I used yeah. to do the Red Bull and, I have a and then here. I started getting really bad heart palpitations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 actually, it's a bad habit. I need to stop. But I drink about three cans of Red Bull a day. Oh, my God. Do you not get heart palpitations? No. Sometimes it sometimes wow. it stops. If I drink it too late, I end up in bed moving my legs all night. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you kind of feel like you need to do a run in bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And flutter. I thought used to feel my eyelids fluttering. Wow, you're a machine. That's really impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I do. I do like the Red Bull. I find in the mornings this is terrible, right? But I get up in the mornings. I'm usually up about seven o'clock. And then by about 10, I have to have a can of Red Bull. I do a podcast live at 12 o'clock every day. I have uh-huh. to have a can of Red Bull. Otherwise, my brain is not functioning properly. I'm, I, if I don't have the can of Red Bull, I'm slurring my words, uh, everything. And so that's what I do. And and this is a habit from the nightclub days. So when I was working in the nightclubs, I, my downtime was usually about 6 o'clock where I kind of go, oh, because I was working on the radio during the day, doing the nightclubs at night, and I drink two cans of Red Bull during the gig to keep me awake and then I'd be awake till four in the morning. It'd be great. Wow. I mean it gives you wings, right? So <laughs> Yeah. So they say. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I get caffeine as well. Like I'm the same. I I, I really I enjoy caffeine. And we're not saints, right? So like when people go like, oh my God, I'm drinking Red Bull. I remember there were certain people that like don't drink Red Bull because it's giving you like the same sensation as alcohol or whatever in terms of like it, it don't get addicted to it and i was like yeah but i'm also like if it helps then yeah, you can't have a halo on your head either you know what i mean yeah i mean come on like <laughs> we've got to have something <laughs> yeah. um so copious amounts of chocolate and coffee is the thing for me so here's um, another thing that i say to people don't feel guilty if you're a couple and you've got a couple of kids and you're going to be inviting you know aunts and uncles and people over to your house for dinner don't feel guilty if you don't have cans in the house. This idea that you must, you know, even though you are not drinkers, that you must have cans or drink or whiskey for other people. I don't, I don't get that. I don't have drink for other people in the house. If they want to come to my house, they don't drink. You know, I'll bring them oh, on. I think so, yeah. Like, I just think, you know, yeah, bring you, if you want to, if it's your thing that you're into, then yeah, sure, people can bring their own drink. Like, don't feel like mm. you have to, especially if you find that triggering. Like, why should you have that in your house if you don't, if it's something that... Yeah. Mm, yeah well look have a lovely sober christmas by the way and and i know people follow you online by the way are you you're on instagram i assume yes and tiktok okay tell people where they can go to find you because you're very upbeat and you're very cheerful and i think you'd impress a lot of people who want to stay sober <laughs> thank you very much and it's so late as well this is way past my bedtime so i'm surprised i'm so upbeat but you're i've very much enjoyed talking to you so um <laughs> uh you can find me on tiktok um it's izzy hawkins underscore and you can also find me on instagram i think those are the, all the ways you can find me maybe now, there are others spelled, by the way, in case people are wondering it's spelled with two s's oh not, yeah not two, yeah okay so it's issy yeah. Okay. Yes, because that made sense to me as a child. It's Isabel with an S. Why shouldn't it be Izzy with S's? 
yeah, absolutely. So it's Izzy Hawkins. You'll find her on TikTok, on Instagram, um, and all the usual places that you find people. And if you just search the word sober. <laughs> yeah, I'll be that. <laughs> I'll be there. Very inspiring person, I believe, too. I was talking to my producer about you earlier on. She was telling me, you're a very inspiring person. And my, my producer oh, said, Jane, she doesn't drink either. She's having a sober hey. We're all, uh, having, all the best like people a sober don't radio drink. station for Christmas. We're all, well, I can't actually Love say that. that. Actually, to be honest with you, now there's a few of them drinking here. But we're ha- we're having a sober Christmas, except my producer. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Izzy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Have a wonderful sober Christmas. All right, thank you very you much too. for joining us. Thank you so much. Take care. Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.